We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, March 9th. This podcast brought to you by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. We're going to unpack the combine today. Also, franchise tag deadline was earlier this week. We're going to get into that. For our Underdog segment, we are going to talk about some late round targets to, to get after in your best ball drafts. A lot to get to today here. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on in. This is the Roto-Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. This podcast presented again by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Use that promo code RWNFL. Get that free six-month subscription to Roto-Wire. Get your first deposit matched up to $100. Great promo code. Again, RWNFL is the word. The bird is the word. Mario Things are heating up. You know, we, we go through like a, a slight doldrum in February. Um, and then, you know, things just really rocket right back up around this time of year. We had the combine last week and we also had the franchise tag deadline this past Tuesday. Uh, as you may have heard, the Ravens have used the non-exclusive franchise tag on one Lamar Jackson. And the initial, you know, Tuesday was so funky because I, I was expecting the, the majority of the outrage to be that, that that particular news item. But then, you know, five, ten minutes after that news breaks, uh, every team that, that seemed to make all the sense in the world for as a potential Lamar Jackson landing spot is, says, uh, we're not in on him. And then, you know, sort of like that, that meme where, where the guy is just, uh, you know, taking all the damage while someone else uh, is sleeping, just the human shield. Uh, Daniel Jones signs that big contract with the New York Giants and, and kind of swallows up the news cycle for, for the rest of that day. So, so what were your reactions to Tuesday? Well, uh, it's, it's definitely interesting stuff. It, not at this point unexpected, though, uh, for, for some a number of weeks anyway. Uh, the thing that gave away – sorry, I guess I should, I, should, I should back up a little bit and talk about uh, – the fact that there is a capital uh, conspiracy sort of consideration to be made by the owners and uh, the GMs, their, their management class, like the minions of the owners, basically, uh, 
they cannot concede a, a structural arrangement, a market arrangement of any sort where players have any say or rights. So Lamar Jackson is a big threat to all of them, and they all know it. Uh, they all talked about it. They are literally conspiring against him. And what they're doing is they're specifically conspiring, colluding, whatever you want to call it, to preempt the possibility of guaranteed contracts becoming a precedented uh, a convention in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And they're specifically trying to stop Lamar Jackson from showing how a player can get what they want by just demanding it and, and using their leverage to force the issue. So uh, Lavian Bell was just a running back and, you know, not, not a generational one. Like he was, he was just very good. And he tried to do that. The Steelers, you know, they didn't flinch. They held strong against him. But Lamar Jackson is a quarterback and a top three quarterback, despite whatever some morons might be confused about. And that means he has a lot more power than Labian Bell did. And he's, he's a threat that the team alone can't stand up to. So what gave it away was the Falcons. Their Falcons official team website said that we're not in on him, which means Arthur Blank told them to say it. And they right. didn't uh, do a good enough job covering up that fact. And that's because Arthur Blank is the monopoly man. You know, he's him, him, Jerry Jones, all those guys, especially all, all owners are psychotic freaks and they, all their money is ill earned. Those that aren't inheritance cases, but Arthur Blank is the monopoly man. Like he's, he, he aspires to look like the monopoly man. So I can assure you, he was one of the people who was like, what are we going to do about this Lamar Jackson problem? And uh, the league resolved that we're going to say, Hey, we're not going to pay you your demands, Lamar Jackson. We're not going to, we are not going to respect your demands as you have iterated them because then we would be admitting that you had something on us and that we would be letting you in on the levers of power that we consider more important. The the full control of that is more important than competing in the NFL, winning games, um, generating sales, anything. They, 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 they keep that control at all costs if necessary. And now we're seeing what the version of all costs mobilization is. Um, And it's in the form of teams that could use one of the best players in league history saying we'll just lose. Thanks. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a conspiracy. It's collusion. Uh, Like a lot of the things that the NFL does as a cartel, it would not hold up to uh, judicial scrutiny, which is why like that one uh, Wallach guy was saying, they're not going to do a damn thing about Dan Snyder because they're all criminals and Dan Snyder can put that out in the open. So uh, anyway, uh, it's crooked, it's rancid, but I will say the Daniel Jones contract is funny money. So yes. as much as I hate what it is, I hate the, I hate the narratives around it. I hate the sentiments around it. Uh, but to me, based on what Over the Cap posted, it looks like this Daniel Jones contract is not at all a four-year, one hundred and sixty million. It's more like a two-year, sixty-four million, uh, which is still too much. Uh, so anyway, it's it's two years, sixty-four million, and the Giants structured it such that they can cut him next year and not get a cap penalty. It'll be a lot of dead money, but they won't take a cap penalty for it. So uh, clearly it's not a four-year deal. Right. Yeah. No, that, that's, um, yeah, that, that's the main takeaway. Like that there's the initial sticker shock uh, that, that comes out, you know, that this is a, an annual thing where uh, you just see uh, over a hundred million dollars and you're like, wow, wow. But you know, every, every time it seems like uh, that the, the player never really, gets gets to squeeze the full orange as far as what what's you know dovetailing uh, with the Lamar issue uh, Daniel Jones uh, 
he he a guy like him would have been in position to demand a much bigger guaranteed dollar figure than he got if Lamar Jackson can can establish as like as like uh the law of the land the sort of contract that was given to Deshaun Watson like obviously adjusting for for the uh the level of pay but the the concept of guaranteed deals is something that Lamar Jackson's actions uh would would would, would strengthen from the player's point of view and it's something that the, it's a red line to the owners. They're like, no way in hell are we giving you the guaranteed contracts. We need we need a market such that we need a media such that we can give Daniel Jones a two year, sixty three million dollar contract and say it's one hundred and sixty million. Yep. And uh, that that's what they've done. Uh, way to kind of unravel it there um, a little bit more, you know, take the veil off of what that that contract uh, really is. So. The the one kind of interesting detail to me that uh, that I didn't really anticipate because, like you said, it's been the expectation for a little while now, a couple of weeks that the Ravens, you know, were pretty far apart as far as their negotiations with Lamar Jackson went, um, as far as securing that long term deal. So the exclusive franchise tag where he'd be able to to go out and and um, negotiate with other teams that was on the table. But again, the 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 rub there is the two first round picks. And it seems like, again, everyone is is balking at that right now. But what I hadn't considered and what what has, again, caught my eye is the Dolphins, because they, the Dolphins obviously have the forfeited first round pick this year. So they can't talk to him about this until after the draft. But you have to figure that the Dolphins would absolutely be in play, especially if the, if the health concerns uh, with Tua are enough for them to kind of consider uh, moving in another direction, but that, that also would complicate things again, because they would have to uh, start those negotiations uh, after uh, this draft. I mean, what kind of headache would that cause on, on, on both sides? You know, like how do the Ravens go through approaching this draft, knowing that they're going to be losing their quarterback, but not being drafting or not being able to draft at a spot where they could get a, a first round replacement for him. Honestly, man, I can't even really follow that whole thing. I don't know what the I, – I can tell you, I'm sure Mike McDaniel would really love to get Lamar Jackson. Uh, the logistics – over to us specifically. I, 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 I think Mike McDaniel is very clearly a really good offensive mind, and it's not possible that he would think Tua Tungabailoa is preferable to Lamar Jackson or even anywhere close to him. So I know Mike McDaniel would love to get Lamar Jackson there. Stephen Ross, though, is – one of these particularly evil owners, like he does, uh, go, go look at why Stephen Ross from Florida was getting involved with the New York City, New York State uh, attorney general races and, and showed up to uh, pour a ton of money in to this one person who vowed to not investigate his real estate transactions for laundering. Um, that's Stephen Ross. He's, he's a member of this like very, very uh, old money uh, hostile money sort of guard uh, like Arthur Blank, like Jerry Jones. So I don't think unless unless Stephen Ross wants to stick it to the league for taking away that first round pick for his Tom Brady tampering, he would not normally fit the profile of the kind of owner who would go about this. He very much has class solidarity with these other uh, criminal billionaires who run the whole world. So I think that's not particularly likely, but admittedly that stuff, especially about that stuff about like the, the terms of the franchise tag and the, 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 the timing of the signing discussions, et cetera, uh, the first round pick missing in Miami's case, 
I, I don't know how any of that stuff. I saw that one theory that someone posted about like they could sign him after the draft or whatever, and I, right. I just don't know what that means because I I don't remember anything like that happening before. Because because the the deal is you have to have two like the two first round picks available over the next couple of years. So uh, obviously this year they don't have that first round pick, but twenty four and twenty five they they would therefore uh, then they'd be able to to talk. Is that about how it. that is now? Is it's automatically because before. I don't know when what when this slid a little bit, but they they basically backed off like the two first rounders and said, yeah, you can put the tag on him and trade him for a seventh if you want. You can trade him for whatever the hell you want. It, it wasn't at the time mandated that it be specifically two first round picks, but now it is. I, I believe so. That seems okay. to be the sticking point, and, that, and that's why yeah, Miami specifically. Yeah, I missed mm-hmm. that, but um, because someone was fr- like they were talking about Gesicki, so it's the the non-exclusive versus exclusive. That's the first two round, uh, the two first round mandate. Okay. Yes. Um. Yeah. So I I don't know how that works, but uh, I I hope he gets to Miami. I hope there's some kind of sting they can pull to make that happen because Mike McDaniel, uh, Lamar Jackson is is getting a second MVP at least. You know, I went to Miami last week to to investigate this, but um, I got sidetracked and just hung out at the pool instead. Um, I, I get, I think Steven Ross doesn't typically take like, uh, walk-in appointments either. So if you, I don't know if you're really going to get there. I would, I would have had to put on like a second fake mustache and then like revealed it after I like got, got past security. You'd have to dress up in like an old man skin suit and say that you're some kind of Vanderbilt or something. And then he'd <laughs> maybe let you, uh, get, take step foot into the lobby without getting shot. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Miami, cool town though. Wouldn't blame Lamar Jackson for wanting to get back down there. He's from Pompano beach about an hour, uh, North, if I remember correctly, uh, from there. Um, but that'll, that'll kind of take us through the, the, um, the franchise tag discussion for, for now. Um, let's go ahead, transition on over to some late round targets in underdog best ball drafts. Uh, so the 2022 NFL season is over. We know this. But the fantasy football season never stops at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's The Big Board Tournament with $1 million in total prizes and $200,000 given out to first place. Think you know which incoming rookies will burst onto the scene in 2023? If so, now's your chance to draft them at a value. All you have to do is join The Big Board Draft, draft your fantasy team, and that's it. In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season. And whoever has the highest scores at the end of the season win. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or the Google Play Store, sign up with promo code RWNFL, and not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but we will also hook you up with a six-month subscription to everything Rotowire has to offer for free. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWNFL. All right, Mario. So we today our topic of discussion when it comes to best ball is some late round targets. We've we've hit on a couple uh, different uh, ways to approach different positions, quarterbacks, tight ends, and the like uh, over these last few weeks. But I want to get into I want to get a little bit deeper into the weeds here. Talk about some late round guys. We'll we'll draw the line roughly fourteenth round. I am going to kind of break that that rule right off the jump here. Where are you with Jordan Love? You know, that there's all this smoke, uh, you know, maybe even as we record the Aaron Rodgers to the Jets deal uh, could end up taking place. So TBD 
on that one. But as it stands, I think that the general consensus is that Aaron Rodgers will no longer be a Packer. Therefore, Jordan Love uh, will be taking over. Obviously, they, they spent a high draft pick on him a few years back. His ADP checks in uh, in the 160s, I want to say. He, he's at 163 is his ADP over at underdog. Is this something where you need to get in now before the, the Rodgers deal is officially done? And, and is that going to move his market much? Or is it about where it's going to sit for, for the time being? I have no idea, really, because I can't tell how much everybody else was. I can't tell, like, what the field was assuming about Rodgers or Love. And so uh, if he's at 160 in drafts where, you know, only half of the people drafting think he's actually going to start, then that's going to go up. If it was like eight or nine people in a draft thought that maybe that's not enough to move the needle. I don't really know. Uh, I also don't know what to expect about the the general quarterback market. Like I think Anthony Richardson, and not to get too much into the combine stuff, like I think Anthony Richardson put himself on the map in a big way at the combine that as a high upside, obviously low floor, but high upside, uh, new candidate. And that changes the market a little bit. You know, it undercuts the position of some guys, maybe even including guys like Love. And it's not always the same in every draft, uh, the quarterback market. Like I, I think it's generally true that uh, the quarterbacks are going higher. It is generally true that the quarterbacks are going pretty much higher than any recent point. Um, but I don't know how many people have picked up on the significance of the 20 round distinction versus the 18 and how you really should go three quarterback. I, I think anyway, it's obvious or as someone who thinks that I can pick running backs and receivers in the 20th round. I think you should obviously go th- three quarterbacks this year um, in the t- in the twenty round format. Anyway, I thought there was a case to do it in, in uh, eighteen round even. So in twenty, it's it's not a question to me. But sometimes you end up in drafts where you got people drafting the old way, like they're still trying to wait until like the tenth round, and you know they, it's always the zero running back people because it's, it's they, they'll take like seven wide receivers in the first nine rounds, and then they'll take a quarter they'll take their quarterback then. So I was in one draft the other day, and this is the only time this has happened out of like ten drafts. Um, but I took. Uh, what did I do? I took Mahomes, Dak Prescott, <laughs> and Deshaun Watson. Just because these guys weren't picking quarterbacks, and I was like, "All right, well, you're starting Kirk Cousins then." And uh, <laughs> so that's that's not necessarily going to work out for me because I, I had to go thinner at uh, like running back and receiver in terms of a uh, you know mid uh, mid round selections. But uh, a lot of drafts, more more what has been typical for me has been in drafts, uh, people taking uh, like Trevor Lawrence in the fifth, Justin Fields in the late third. Um, Joe Burrow in like the, the mid early third, you know, stuff like that. And then guys like Goff going in like the eighth and the ninth as people try to get three starting quarterbacks, which again, I happen to think is the right way. So uh, love it's depending those kind of two things to see like how the quarterback uh, market solidifies and like how many people figured previously that love would be the starter in green Bay. And I don't, I mean, I was unsure. I, I generally assumed he would, but I, I don't think I've picked love yet. And I, I'm somewhat curious. I'm not exactly, uh, I'm not like intrigued, but I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to cross him off. Cause I, I don't think love is as bad, or at least I don't see as much reason to assume love is bad as a lot of people do. Um, you know, I, I definitely had started to kind of move him out of my radar, uh, going into, into last season and kind of figured that, that the Packers would, would sooner move him, uh, that than Rogers, But, you know, his little brief cameos last year was enough to kind of remind me uh, why the Packers took him in the first 
first place. His, his last season at, at Utah State wasn't very good, but his, his kind of standout season that got him drafted, you know, kind of showed uh, the kind of player that, that he can be. And, you know, but I, I guess the, the bottom line question for you is, is do you think you'll, you'll have some shares because I think I, I think I will, especially at that current ADP. And and again, I, I'm I'm of the belief that that maybe his ADP craw- crawls up to the you know into the twelfth round, something like that. So um, I, I think I'm I'm gonna have to to take a look see. Yeah, and um, I think because of this twenty round format on on underdog, there's there's um how would you say this? There's less need to be concerned with like the quality of quarterback play as much as uh, for your depth picks anyway, as much as just the uh, playing time variable, especially if you're going three quarterbacks. And so what I mean by that is there's a certain class of quarterback who sucks, but starts games anyway. And if I can have that guy as my third quarterback, and if, if there's 20 rounds so I can get these running backs and receivers that I still think I can, then I barely care whoever it is as long as they're playing. Like there's a, there's some kind of line, you know, I don't want Matt Ryan last year. I don't want uh, whatever disasters, the, the Carson Wentz or something like that. Um, but guy like Kenny Pickett, I think he's terrible. I truly think he's awful, but I've picked him a few times because I don't know how else the Steelers are going to, I don't think the Steelers are going to bench him for anybody this year. No. And he does run a little bit. So I think he's going to be a train wreck in real life, but as the quarterback three and underdog in the 14th round, I've picked him like three times because it's and, and Jordan love fits into this category as a better version of Pickett to me. Like uh, maybe not better in fantasy. Cause I don't know, like love can throw the ball a little bit. Pickett can't. So that's part of why Pickett runs so much. Love is a more athletic player, uh, even as a runner, I think than Pickett. but I don't know if he's going to act on the run ability as much. Uh, so he might not be as good as Pickett in fantasy, but he's definitely the better prospect of the two. Um, I, I think LeFleur is still a, a good offensive game planner. I'm, I'm kind of questioning his other uh, areas of coaching, I guess. But I think he is basically a quarterback's dream. And the last times that we saw Love were on short notice starts. And mm-hmm. uh, especially that Chiefs game, it was like you could tell like he's not been practicing hardly with these guys. So – it looked bad, admittedly, but I, I just don't think it's a basis to j- take away much at all. And so I'm kind of defaulting to my, uh, you know, the prior draft evaluation that I had on Love, which was like, uh, you know, I didn't know what he was. I didn't know what to think of him. I just kind of shrugged and was like, I don't know, top 40 pick, which uh, Kenny Pickett was not to me. Uh, Sam Howell, you know, good. I hope, I hope he does well. Wish him luck. But uh, he's another guy in that range. I don't want to go into the year with just those two if I can get love at the same price. Yeah. Okay. All right. That that definitely checks out. Uh, let's quickly hit a couple other late round targets. I wanted to get your thoughts quickly on one Michael Carter. Yeah. Carter's a guy that I picked a couple of times. I don't think he's that great or anything. I mean, I was, I was among those people who was like, shut the hell up when people were saying that Michael Carter is going to start over Brees Hall. Like that's, that's so stupid. And yet it's just about as dumb that people seem to have concluded since then that Michael Carter will never play again. And I get it. It's because of Mike LaFleur and his little Zonovan Knight thing at the end of the year. I'm sorry. Zonovan Knight's not going to make the team. So if you're worried about him, uh, that's, that's not enough. You need to think the jets are going to like draft another running back, which having taken one in the second round last year, having taken Carter in the fourth the year before that, I really doubt it. Uh, they might re-sign James Robinson for cheap. And I would worry about that. Cause I, 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 I know James Robinson was hurt last year dealing with a knee injury. And uh, I don't know if that's like the development of something chronic. I don't know if it's related to the Achilles 
injury. But uh, even though James Robinson was not on the injury report, he, he was definitely hurt last year with a knee right. issue. So um, that's the one thing. And if, 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 if Robinson leaves, Carter's – he can't hurt you in the, the 20th and 19th round. He's going to be yeah. there. He's going to play like 350 snaps for them or at least. ADP 217. So, you know, we're, we're talking pretty late on in drafts and, you know, it kind of dovetails with, with you know, the uh, early round fade segment that we did where it's like, I, I can't quite get on board with Brees Hall coming off the ACL in, in the early third round. So therefore I think Carter could definitely have some utility. I, I think that he's, you know, someone that, that could perform, you know, outperform his draft slot by, by, you know, a, a couple of rounds at the very least, maybe give you a couple of weeks where, where he ends up. Especially if they get Rodgers. No, exactly. So the offense will in and of itself be a lot healthier. Who are a couple of other guys you've been grabbing some late round shares of? Um, I, I think uh, Rashad Penny at about 180, 178.3 is clearly going too late. Like there's a chance that he resigns with Seattle, which wouldn't be great for him. Uh, but if he did, he, he would split carries with Kenneth Walker. I know no one wants to hear it, but the one thing Penny does not have or hasn't demonstrated to this point is durability which is in some way to say good luck because it's not like he's not like just going out there and having like the same pectoral muscle tear every year or something like that's, that isn't, that's like, he's not doing Gerald McCoy stuff, you know Um, he's going out there and he's tearing his ACL one year. He's fracturing his ankle. The other, these are bad luck things and they are not his fault. When he's on the field, he torches. There's not a question. There's not a, I don't need to put a caveat or a condition on that. He torches when he plays, there's no exception to that. And, 180 man, if he's a free agent like this one guy uh sorry i don't remember his name uh i'll try to pull it up here somebody uh, proposed brendan deeg uh, uh i'm sure he's with some uh site or another i just saw the tweet and i love the idea of the eagles signing rashad penny because he's going to be there a lot go. cheaper than miles sanders and miles sanders is not as good of a runner as rashad penny if rashad penny signs with a team where he projects for as little as 400 snaps he belongs in I don't know, the eighth round, ninth round, something like that. So going where he does, I try to draft him every single time. Um, Among the, um, uh, to backtrack to the quarterback late round standard a little bit, I still do like Howell, by the way. I still think Washington's going to start him. And I, I I like his, I like him for fantasy because he throws deep and he runs. So uh, I like him quite a bit, despite the kind of like cooling on his market lately. I don't buy it at all. Um, And then there's a, there's a couple rookies. I I guess I'll say uh, at each running back receiver, tight end, Israel Abanaconda, I know he didn't run at the Combine, but he's going to run at the Pittsburgh Pro Day, and then he's going to go in, like, I don't know, the 10th round of underdog drafts. So buy him now uh, so that you don't have to pay whatever his post-Pro Day price is. At receiver, Tyler Scott hasn't seen a huge jump, or at least the draft that I did the other day, he was going the same as he did before the Combine. But there were also rookie receivers going ahead of him who won't and who people will realize won't soon. So I expect Tyler Scott to rise. Uh, You can get him in, like, the 19th, 20th. I, I don't think he can hurt you there. I really think you can approach like 40% volume for now anyway, and then taper off later uh, when the price goes up. And at tight end, there's at least a couple guys, actually. I mean, I think Luke Musgrave is overrated, and I, I'm not convinced that he's going to be particularly good in the NFL. But in the 20th round, I mean, he's going to be a top 45 pick. That that can't hurt you. And Dalton Kincaid, yeah. uh, he seems to go I, – I, he's my kind of preferred, actually – if I take Travis Kelsey – my preferred tight end backup is Dalton Kincaid because I, I don't have to get a backup until like the 15th or whatever. And when he's there, uh, I mean, I'm a little skeptical of Kincaid as like, especially a first round pick, but he's going to play like he's going to play for someone. Yeah, no, I, I think so as well. So th- those are some interesting late round targets. I, I love that, that you, um, you know, framed 
uh, a couple of those rookies by, by position there. Um, but that's going to do it for our underdog segment. Again, use that promo code RWNFL. Get that six-month subscription over at Rotowire. Get that deposit matched, the first deposit matched, up to $100. Again, that promo code RWNFL. So, Mario, you, you kind of were just alluding to it there with the combine. Who are some guys that, that stood out to you particularly uh, either good or bad? I, I guess uh, I'll lead it off. What do you do about Keishon Butte? Like, is he just getting bad advice if he's going to be testing like that? Well, I, I will say for me, the most important thing is the density adjusted 40, and he actually did pretty okay there. And I don't know what to make of the rest, though. I, I mean, I could say something like I think the jumps are indicative of just kind of improper training, but then that would just lend to a new set of concern or, you know, Going back to, the, I guess, the, the classic concern with Butte, which is, like, we don't know what, what's going on in his head, and we don't know what kind of, like, worker he is. We don't know if he's, like, a, a professional personal liability or something, and it's not it's not the greatest defense for him then to have to say, like, well, the 40 was good because that indicates his natural talent is sufficient. The jumps merely indicate that he wasn't working well, uh, working enough, so I don't know what to take away from that. Uh, I really think the talent is there, but I I can't. It's getting to the point where it's so hard to know what everyone else thinks about him that it's becoming anxiety-inducing because there is a such thing as the league basically crossing guys off for character issues. And not to say that he'd be doomed at that point. A lot of the time, those guys, even from lesser draft capital, even from you know the, the lowest rungs in the league, do make their way back up and become the players that they could have should have been all along. But in Dynasty those players are often the ones that you feel the pressure to shed after a year and ones that you can buy low after a year or two. So Ute in dynasty at the very least, I think is a guy you don't buy right now because I'm worried about him starting slowly, even if he does eventually have success. And if he starts slowly, the doom and gloom comes out right away. Like these, these people have, you know, dodo brains. They can't have any attention span at all. So it's like, if, if there's a, a like, look at the sky more. It's like, we knew he was going to be, a, he was an underclassman slot specialist on a team loaded with veteran slot players and it's like one year of, of delayed returns and people are like oh i'll trade him for like anything anything yeah. at all and um so yeah Butte i think has a good chance to be that guy um i don't i'm not gonna be picking him really in best ball i think there's a case to take him in like the 12th or 13th round i just i don't know i, I there's other guys in that range that i like enough that i'm not gonna pull that trigger um it's tough i i'm trying to think of somebody that he reminds me of and it's just not coming up and that always makes me nervous. Right, exactly. Yeah, kind of unprecedented case. And then, you know, like the, there's always going to be that part of my brain that remembers him as a recruit, part of my brain that remembers him as, as, a, um, as a freshman. The and talent, I don't doubt. I, got, I can yeah. be clear on that, I guess. I, don't, I really don't believe, like, the workout <laughs> metrics are him talent-wise. So, to me, but don't get me wrong, if he has no work ethic or if he's just, like, a, you know, knucklehead or whatever – that's a big enough problem too. No, it it absolutely is. So so he he unfortunately has has his stock trending downward. Someone who I I kind of we've liked we we've talked about him, but I, I really didn't know what to expect as far as his combine was was going to go. And that's Marvin Mims for, from Oklahoma. You know, comes in uh, 5'11", 183, That's playable. It's it's obviously not you know a, a particularly dense receiver, but we've seen receivers you know within that that height weight 
uh, range do well for themselves. He checks in with that 4.38 in the 40. And the the per target numbers have been pretty stellar throughout his Oklahoma career. Incomparable. I don't think anyone's done that like he has actually. And at Oklahoma, no less, you know, where, where you know, they're, they're churning out a lot of crazy production um, on offense. So how much has he kind of like changed his draft fortunes? Where can you see him uh, going at, uh, in April now? I always liked Mims more than uh, the consensus, but I always had to admit the Oklahoma offense is like not a real offense and he didn't play real receiver in it. Uh, it was kind of like, that every play was just designed to to spring some big opening. And it's just sort of like get Mims to this spot. Like that's the play. And it, that's not, that's not how things work in the NFL. So uh, there was some sort of, you had to project him as a route runner. There's like nothing on him as a, as a real route runner. You know, it, it's tough enough in the big 12 to find tape of guys getting actual press coverage against them. You never right. see it. It's always like, looks like just eight DBs sitting as far back as they can kind of stuff. Um, so the, the route running skill set is entirely a projection with Mims, but I, I thought that his production was just compelling and that, that includes that he led the team in all receiving categories as a true freshman. And that's, that's a thing you don't see often. And when it's followed up with the kinds of numbers that he did post after that, um, I think it's, a, I think it's, it's possible that he starts slow as he maybe like gets more reps with these concepts with these route types that he didn't run at all at Oklahoma but uh, I saw some of his quotes from the combine and he seems like he seems like he's a smart guy and like he's on it already like he, he said like look we don't really run pro concepts here and I know that but I can run those routes I know what they are I can do them and if he's right and I don't know what reason we have to not believe him then with athletic testing like this that's an easy eval like I, I'm not worried about Marvin Mims so uh, I guess uh one of the, one of my favorite things uh, that we have at RotoWire is the the sortable combine database. So you can go ahead and click into receiver for for every year that we have dating back to whew, 2005, um, and you're able to kind of get get a physical comparison on, on prospects that you're looking at. And uh, Jahan Dotson fits the, a similar mold, um, but Mims Mims was faster and he had much better um, agility. Um, and jump numbers, I, I believe, as well. Um, but you know, I, I think interesting, interestingly enough, to to your point about Mims, where he's not coming from a system where he played real receiver. Like Dotson came in polished by by comparison, and and Dotson obviously was a first round guy, um, whereas Mims, you know, we're thinking day two something like that. But do you, do you see any comparisons between them, or or is it just like the the physical, like the physical, is just lining up a little bit? Well, you're right that Dotson was very conclusively polished. I think with Mims, it would maybe be a little hasty to think that he isn't polished. It's just hard. Like, we can't really tell. And uh, that's, that's you know, you shouldn't just assume the positive with, with questions when comparing case studies like that. However, uh, whereas I normally don't care that much about drills at the Combine or workouts or whatever, I would be curious to know what NFL teams thought about Mims and his drills because we know the tools are there. I think we know on some level the innate talent, is, the innate skill set, I should say, as a receiver is there based on his production. And so if he can just so much as run like the the main base routes that a team looks for in their offense, if he can do it in a workout setting, like he looks like he's ready for 600 snaps, 
I have nothing against a team taking Mims in the first round. And I know that's not being suggested right now. I know people are still kind of saying like, he might go earlier mid rounds now. Like, I think he's clearly not falling out of the second round. And uh, I mean, granted, he has a profile also very similar to Tyler Lockett and Tyler Lockett fell to, I think like the first couple picks of the third round, but how did that turn out? Right. Ex- exactly. So, and yeah, the big 12 uh, comparison uh, there as well. Uh, before we get on over to our next prospect uh, that stood out to us at, at the combine, uh, got a quick message from our friends over at blue wire. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. All right, let's uh, let's rip the Band-Aid off, Mario. Where are we at with Keaton Mitchell now? Oh, it's not that. I mean, he was always kind of like a peripheral sort of player. You know, like, even if it works out for him, he would be more like, uh, not, not peak Tariq Cohen in the sense of catching like 90 passes or whatever he did that one year, but just in the sense of uh, a guy who doesn't really fit into base functions, but still stays in the in in like your mind game planning both offense and from the defensive side it's like I think Keaton Mitchell is the kind of player who uh probably can't play 400 or not more anyway than 400 snaps in a year but I think he can do a lot of damage on his usage and especially if you're if you're kind of in like a novel situation like hurry up um or if you're uh I don't know. You're, you're just if I would love to have Keaton Mitchell on my team just because I would run like an up tempo uh, like aggressive run scheme kind of thing. So I'd go through running backs, not in the sense of like disposing of them, but I'd be, I'd have guys getting gassed and I want the defense to get gassed. And then I want to put Keaton Mitchell on the field 
And I don't care that he's um, 180 pounds in that case. Cause I care about the 180 pounds when I got to find someone to take 20 carries, you know, cause he can't mm-hmm. really do that. So the, the question is, can he convince teams that as a firecracker off the bench, that he is worth their investment and development time. And um, I don't know how that's going to go. He's not, He's not like a Jameer Gibbs or even in a chain kind of pass catcher. He's more like probably an Aaron Jones kind of pass catcher, which is to say like not truly good hands. But I, I think it's still worth throwing to a guy like Aaron Jones because the explosions that happen change the courses of games. And so I don't mind uh, a second and 10 if I if I can get a you know game breaking big play later on in the game. So I, I think uh, with the 437 and 178 or whatever Mitchell was. Um, he's behind Deuce Vaughn for me at this point, because uh, okay. Deuce, Deuce Vaughn's just so much stockier. Right? He's like three inches shorter and, and, and might actually be heavier. So uh, I, I worry, or, I, I just, I have to give Vaughn credit if he runs a 40 in like the four, four flat kind of range. Uh, so uh, I just think with Mitchell uh, and also Vaughn probably has better hands than Mitchell too. So I, I have, I have Mitchell well behind a chain and Deuce Vaughn. I just I'm kind of optimistic for all three all the same, because as much as um, the objective comp, by the way, I posted uh, updated post combine rookie running back rankings. I'm going to post the quarterbacks tight ends today. Um, I also have an underdog, uh, the top 35 rookies in the ADP, breaking down all of them. And um, uh, so I, I, I try to address all this stuff. And like I say, in the, the new running back rankings for Mitchell, the objective comparison is probably Garrett Wolf, this guy who played at Northern Illinois like 15 years ago. Oh yeah, oh and, yeah. Uh, I I just happen to think along the lines of stuff like, yeah, Garrett Wolf was a failure in the NFL, but I can't convince myself that in you know 10 dimensional simulations that every time Garrett Wolf fails, like I, I I feel like there's you know some dimension, some simulation out there where Garrett Wolf had a pretty good career. And so I don't want to write off Mitchell with speed like he has, with production like he had in college. Because I, I just think, by the way, I think Mitchell plays faster than the four three seven. Even like there's there's some plays with him where the defense just like there'll be a guy like ten yards downfield, and he'll have what should be a perfectly good angle on Mitchell, who's just kind of getting to the line of scrimmage, and you can still see it and say it's over. He's, he's yeah, look him. at look at his uh, two thousand twenty one versus app state tape just crazy explosive that that's when he got on, on my radar um that was first I start game flipping I out of the screen it's like, they, like they'll, they'll get good angles on him and it'll look like they're just being like pulled out of frame by some sort of like malevolent force yeah. uh so yeah um between my thinking on garrett wolf having you know maybe some sort of different outcome somewhere else and with with mitchell about and the other thing i meant to say is i think mitchell could arguably be better than Wolf as a prospect. Like I, what, what the difference is, is Mitchell's faster. Uh, Mitchell's a, a good step faster than Wolf, who ran like a four three seven or four three eight at a four three nine at a pro day, which would have probably been like a four four five at the combine. Mitchell ran the four three seven, and it's like, yeah, Mitchell is seven pounds lighter than Garrett Wolf was. But what if Garrett Wolf would have succeeded if he had been a step faster, even if he had been seven pounds lighter? Like that's stuff that I, that I, you know, think about sometimes. So. I'm not crossing off Mitchell, but yeah, he's down at like running back 10 or something for me now. And okay. uh, like I said, I have Vaughn ahead of him. I didn't have Vaughn ahead of him before. Um, the main loser at running back for me is actually Dwayne McBride. Uh, or, at least, or at least not, I shouldn't say loser. The floor's lower. Still, 
Yeah, he can still get back on track at the UAB Pro Day. It's just weighing in at 209 is he's going to have to run so much faster than I expected he would because he plays a game a certain way and it requires more than 209 pounds. Or if he's going to play at 209 pounds and kind of change his playing style to one that's like less power oriented, then he needs to be faster. Uh, like DeMarco Murray is the only guy I can remember who really made that like full transformation from college to pro. And it, he was going the other way from McBride. Like M- Murray played at like 200 at Oklahoma and ran the four, three, seven. And then you look at him at Dallas, you know, five years later, he's clearly playing at like two thirty or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I believe that, uh, 200 pound Dwayne McBride runs a four, three. I don't believe it, you know? So I I'm concerned even though I still want to buy it. And I still think he's basically like a Tyler Algier or maybe better than that. But it's like, at this point, it's so much, that's so, that's so faith-based with him weighing in 15 pounds lighter than Algier. Right. And, and uh, you know, there, there's, you can only take these for, for gospel so much and, and that they, they almost sound more like urban legends than anything else. But, you know, t- college teams now, they have the GPS tracker on these guys and, you know, allegedly, you know, McBride was was clocking well north of 20, even 21 miles an hour at, at, at certain points during their practices, maybe even during during their games. So maybe he does have a surprising. I hope so. Extra I do gear. like McBride. I want him to I want him to be good. Yes, I, I definitely planted my flag on him from, from a college fantasy perspective over these last couple of years. And, and you know, I, I believe that he can be good in the NFL. But um, it was a little bit surprising, again, that, that um, he didn't test it and that he weighed in. Uh, where he did um chase brown uh, i think oh sorry i was gonna say uh oh if we're sticking with the running backs yeah chase brown did really good um i saw some people i think out of just like running back thirst and kind of like probably influenced by abanaconda not testing zach evans ken j miller not testing i think people were kind of like i need my hype i need a hype guy and like they they like chase brown was the closest thing they had to that laying around and so they were like this guy he's he's like a first round pick yeah look at his abs yeah i mean chase brown is gonna play for some team this year and they're gonna put him on the field for i think like i don't know at least 250 snaps but probably not more than like 350 unless someone else gets hurt which is fine uh plenty of times in fantasy we see these guys who are backups or like six man type players become central fantasy producers when their playing time goes up even if it's by injury and and chase brown by being able to run and pass catch credibly and having the kind of athleticism to sort of um, threat to, to uh, turn the corner or at least press the corner as an outside runner. And, you know, just enough long speed to make the safeties pay attention when he's running between the tackles. That's all you really need from a guy who's a rotational player. And uh, the, the one thing I, the one thing that I have to say about uh, Chase Brown is I suspect based on his production at Illinois, that he might have some kind of, um, I don't want to maybe maybe not vision limitation, uh, maybe not anticipation issue, but there could be something along those lines, or there could just so be some. What, what do you what do you mean by that with with his production? Well, he wasn't explosive in Illinois, and he wasn't as explosive as you would especially expect an athlete like him to produce, like a so, guy like him. I, oh, sorry. I my my like counter to that, and not to like cut off your your point entirely, but he. Illinois is a team that had really no pass catching talent um, and Tommy DeVito as their quarterback 
So th- there's there was only so much that they were going to be able to to do to like kind of get the defense spread out, and you know it was like a a well known secret essentially that you know more often than not Chase Brown was going to get the ball, and like if Illinois was doing what it wanted to do, it was giving Chase Brown the ball, and defenses knew that. Yeah, fair enough. But I mean, like even against like lower teams, a lot of the times he wasn't making big plays, and I sure I just believe. Uh, you know, I, I understand why a person wouldn't um, be convinced by it in the meantime. But uh, I believe that if you can't be pushing five and a half yards per carry as a runner in college, you're not going to be an explosive runner in the NFL. And sure. I'm trying to think of exceptions to that. They're just there are definitely a couple out there. I think generally you would find them back in the two, the early like 2000s and 90s, though, uh, when there were fewer big plays in college football nowadays. I mean, I've just seen too many lame running backs go, you know, do do better, do more explosive production with with the numbers. So I know um, it was tough at Illinois. I just I just think like with speed like his, with, with the jumps that he had, like he should be able to break more long plays, more touchdown long runs, you know, because like I mean, look at look at Tevin Coleman at Indiana with Xander Diamond as his quarterback and just like oh, crap man. offensive line. And he's running for 2,000 yards and leading the nation in 40-plus yard carries. And, like, I want Chase Brown to at least juice his average when he's playing weak teams like Chattanooga, you know? Mm. And that stuff didn't happen. So, to me, and this is not me saying he's not going to work out at the NFL. This is me saying why I don't believe he's going to be, like, above average at the NFL level. Uh, Because some guys are very athletic but can't produce as explosively as some less athletic players because it does come down to something like a spatial processing thing. Like they, there really is not even like a, forget a split second. It's, it's like less than an eighth of a second, little things like how quickly you see where that guy is and how, how correct you are when you guess where he is relative to that guy, that kind of stuff. And I think that often is the difference between the five and a half and the five yards per carry averaging guys in the NFL. And I think, or sorry, in college, I think when they get to the NFL, it's the difference between the guys who keep a rushing average uh, above the league average in the NFL versus trending toward or below the league average line. So um, I think Brown's good. And again, I, th- I think he's, he's, a, he's a good fantasy back, including an underdog. Cause I thought uh, after the combine, I thought, I thought Brown was going to get all this, especially after all the hype I saw on Twitter, I thought he was going to go in like, I don't know, the 12th round or something, uh, which I wouldn't even like argue against that much if someone did take him there, but he's still going late. I took him. In a draft, in the last draft that I did, because he was on the board in like the 16th round, and I was like, well, even I know he shouldn't be there, so I took him there. Um, but yeah, if, if he was going in more like the 11th or 12th, that's where I would start to get leery. And um, to be fair, though, if we if we hear from someone like uh, whatever Pete Kuiper even uh, that like Chase Brown's getting some top 50 talk, it's like okay, well, you know, maybe maybe do take him ahead of uh, take him in the 10th, 11th round in that case. I just, in the meantime, am skeptical that that will happen, especially after Israel Abanakanda runs at the Pittsburgh Pro Day. Yeah, so he he's kind of a, an interesting linchpin as far as the the running back uh, pecking order is concerned. Um, let's get into some receivers. Um, obviously, we, we we talked about Mims a little bit, um, but who who uh, who kind of stood stood out to you? Anyone that, that disappointed? Well, we should or, talk or... about the big three, I guess, because it's like Jordan Addison was the consensus wide receiver one going in, and now he definitely won't be. I still think Addison's going to be really good in the NFL, but admittedly, I'd have to concede. Um, in light of the the four four nine at one hundred and seventy three or whatever he ran, he's probably going to just be what people 
uh, with, with some weaker analysts than us uh, said Deontay Johnson was going to be. I think mm-hmm. that's what Jordan Addison is, and I think it's it's pretty open and shut. That's playable. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I I don't think for a second that Addison is going to fail in the NFL. I get why people are, are leery of him in the top 20. Uh, that's fair. So am I. But uh, yeah, the idea that like, oh, he can't play now or that he can't be a pro bowler, like nonsense. He's going to be a pro bowler. But okay. uh, yeah. with that said, Quentin Johnson testing the way he did and even uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't care about the cone drills, I should say. Um, or maybe Devin Kajust has set the league on fire for the past 10 years and I just haven't noticed, but, uh, cone uh, drills that is don't, true. It's like people, I think fixated a little bit on cone, just part of, part of the whole metric push is because people want, got metrics to sell you and they, yeah, they want to convince you like this number is so important. Subscribe here to find out why. And it's like, whatever. I, I get why people got to push that stuff, but the cone drill, the one time that it maybe was like a, a really reliable insight into imminent star potential was with Cooper cup uh, because with Cooper cup, he's like six, three, whatever, two, 10 to 20. And he runs a four, six forty at the combine. So you, you look at that and you say, ah, oh, the 40 sucks. He's, he's not a star, even though, you know, we have learned since that Cooper cup is definitely a star. He had very good agility drills, especially for his build. I just don't think that really matters for every prospect as much as it did for cup. It's like we knew with cup, it's like big receiver, uh, exceptionally quick. That's with his skill set all he needed to become what we know as Cooper Cup. But another player, they could run a six four three cone, and it might not matter because their issues might not pertain to quickness. Their strengths and weaknesses might not be at stake with that drill. And I don't know what uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's good that he ran below three cone. But the main question we had about him was was not like is he good. We seem to pretty much all agree that he's good. The question is. How many different ways can he help a team? Is he just going to be a slot receiver in the NFL? Or can he play more like Justin Jefferson all over the place at all depths? And that's still on the table for Jackson Smith and Jigba, but the cone drill is not an insight toward that. And his jumps were not either. So um, we'll see how he runs at the Ohio State Pro Day. I happen to think that there's no shame if Smith and Jigba is just a slot receiver in the NFL and, and more like a uh, more like an Amon Ross St. Brown than a Justin Jefferson. I think Amon Ross St. Brown, in hindsight, is clearly worth a first-round pick, so I, 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 don't, I don't think any uh, Smith and Jigba fan should find that an insulting comparison. But it's what's on the table right now, uh, and even without that 40-yard dash, I, I think you got to put Jackson Smith and Jigba ahead of Jordan Addison, uh, even though, like I just said, I'm still an Addison fan. What, what's less obvious is, uh, less obvious to me anyway, is what about Quentin Johnston? Because he's he's just going to keep torching. Like he didn't run the 40, but we know from his crazy jumps. Uh, I'll try to look it back up here. Um, he had at six three two oh eight, uh, which is fine. I know he was listed at six, four before. I don't, I don't care that he's six, three. Uh, it's good enough. Um, oh, by the way, if anyone was wondering, John, um, John had a bit of a, t- uh, a browser issue, not, not a connection issue, but the, the browser is being resolved. So six, three, two oh eight, really long arms with Quentin Johnson, 33 and five eighths. Like, you know, that that's, he, he could, uh, he could add a hundred pounds in play offensive tackle, you know? So those, that's a, that's a big catch radius for the kind of, kind of speed, the kind of range that, that Johnson poses with a 40 and a half inch vertical, uh, 134 inch broad jump, which, um, that's, that's very high. That has to be like 98th percentile or something. Uh, so Quentin Johnson, 
was this guy that I, before the combine, had ranked behind both Jordan Addison and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think I'm going to have to rank him ahead of them both tentatively, not, not in any way of like true favored favoritism. Like I, I like all three of them. But Johnson previously, my one concern was, will this big playability vanish for periods of time? And like, will, will he have cold stretches? Will he, uh, especially on maybe smaller fields, will he struggle? Because like, the TCU offense, he had all this space to exploit all the time. And he, he was just kind of at a lot of points playing on easy mode. And at other points when the game got tougher, when he was contested uh, at the catch point, uh, Johnson had some troubles holding on to some passes. So he's, he's not, despite having a frame and reach kind of like a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, he's not going to be making DeAndre Hopkins plays. Uh, he's just, he's just not that good at the, the point, the, the, the catch point. So um, with that said, 6'3", 40-inch vert, insane broad jump. And if, if Quentin Johnson, as I suspect, runs something like a sub 4'4 at the TCU Pro Day, it's just hard, especially since Johnson was so productive at TCU, it's hard to rank a guy like that behind guys like Smith and Jigba and Addison, even if Smith and Jigba and Addison project as higher uh, per snap target producers. Uh, like Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison, they're running at lower depths. They've already shown the ability to pile up monstrous target counts in college so we can expect them to draw more targets per snap than Johnston but Johnston with athleticism like this with what he's shown at TCU we have reason to think can do maybe a lot more per target so um, that's the trade-off as I see it and I, I know different formats um, different whatever ideologies have, have different views on what those three things mean but uh, I, I would say if you're in a dynasty draft or if I was in a dynasty draft and I was picking from those three receivers, I would rank them uh, regardless of the format. John, but especially if you're, if you're going toward like half point PPR or standard, then Johnston's number one. But uh, even in PPR, I would leave Johnston number one uh, pending Smith and Jigba's 40 time at the Ohio State Pro Day. And I'd have Addison three. And if you get any of them, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about missing out on the others. I would just kind of take them as they come and, and, and know that all three are good prospects and, and, you know, as well as you could have done in the situation. Um, I'm trying to think of what uh, the receivers other than Mims and let's see the top three in Mims and uh, talked about Butte. Uh, I Oh, I can say um, I would just ignore a guy like Bryce Ford Wheaton, the West Virginia receiver who he's very toolsy, 6'4", 221. Uh, he's not a bum, produced a little bit at West Virginia, including early on at West Virginia, but uh, not enough for my liking. And I think uh, we've seen, we see guys like him every year. These, you know, it's a racy McMath kind of genre. Like, yeah, you can run and jump or, you know, Miles Boykin, maybe depending on how high uh, this, this West Virginia guy goes, I don't think he will. And um, I, I think, um, who's this? I think Jalen Moreno Cropper is very overlooked. Uh, I mentioned it before. Uh, before this um before the combine before this podcast and i was pleasantly surprised to see him run that 4-4 flat uh, i know he's light at 171 but jameson Miranda cropper just raked at fresno state just raked all the time crazy crazy raking all the time and uh 4-4 flat that's good enough in my opinion i, I think he's going for day two i think people are going to be surprised that he's a third round pick and uh i think he's going to do well in the nfl for whatever team takes him uh, talked a little bit about Tyler Scott in the uh, best ball segment. Love, love him. 
Uh, didn't run the fourth. He ran a four four four, not quite as fast as we expected, but we basically know he's faster than that. Sometimes guys really do run a forty that is not perfectly indicative of their actual speed. Like there really is um, sort of like a margin of error. And I'm sure that like the best, maybe the best recent example is uh, Deontay Hardy, who is really fast. Like you see him, but he didn't play last year, but when you see him in the previous years with the Saints, especially 2021, Deontay Hardy's fast, fast. Like he can run pretty, he can outrun pretty much anybody, but at his pro day, he ran like a four, four, four or something like that. So uh, Tyler Scott, we have additional corroborating evidence in his track background. Um, he's, he's simply been timed in track settings that are faster than other guys who ran faster than a four, 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 did in track themselves. So uh, Tyler Scott, I think, is still a candidate to go in the second round of the draft, along with Mims and uh, Josh Downs and Zay Flowers, who I guess that that's, that's a good discussion to bring up, is those four guys, to me, are pretty interchangeable. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but you're seeing the assumption generally that Zay Flowers is going to be a first or second round pick. I still don't think he will be. Uh, that Josh Downs is going to go someplace right after him. I'm not convinced of that. Um, Downs is ahead of Flowers for me, by the way. I don't know why Flowers would... I don't understand the Flowers thing in general. I think it's a lot of people just repeating each other, to be honest. But uh, I, I think Flowers, Downs, Scott, and Mims, as guys who are, you know, barely pushing 180, sub six foot, clearly are not going to be, you know, winning many balls at the rim. Oh, hey, John. You hear me? Hello. Okay, cool. Yes. Uh, so, John, I, I was... I don't know if you just heard, but I was I was I, I skipped past kind of or I, I, I talked about those top three guys and um, I, I tried to bring up a frame around. I know we talked about Marvin Mims already, but I think Marvin Mims, Zay Flowers, Josh Downs and Tyler Scott all are like this similar type of receiver, uh, similar aesthetically, similar trait wise, similar uh, production wise. So. I think it's pretty interesting to look at how that those four specifically shake out because I feel like a lot of the same teams will be in on all of them. And um, I think uh, Zay Flowers, like he did well with the 4-4-2-40. Uh, I've said this before. I, I still believe that he's overrated. Uh, I see this. I, I see people mm-hmm. referring to him as a first-round lock all the time, and I, I just don't I, – I, there's no precedent for that. Uh, it could be true anyway, but the, it's, it, it's, so it's kind of a – it's sort of a novel uh, occurrence. And uh, yeah, I thought Tyler Scott, uh, like I was saying, Johnny, he ran the four four four, but we know from his track work that he's basically faster than that. And I compared it to Deontay Hardy, he ran like a four four five or something. And you watch him on the field, he outruns everybody every time. So I, th- I think Tyler Scott, Josh Downs, and, and I, I brought that up specifically because Zay Flowers and Josh Downs are talked about as a just like lock to go in the top forty or something. And I don't know if that's true, especially when Tyler Scott is faster than either of them. Uh, was similar, not similarly productive in the volume sense, but he, relative to the, the age and experience points in the respective careers, Tyler Scott's production grades better to me than Zay Flowers. Not better than Downs, um, but Downs at five nine one seventy one. That is perilously small, and right. a four four eight. It's like it's good in general. I don't know if it's good by the standards of a five nine one seventy one player. And Mims, of course, we already talked about. Uh, he's I don't know what the criticism of him is at this point. So yeah, there's, I think a lot to shake out with those four because it's like whoever's the loser in that group could maybe see a little bit of a tumble, not a long one, but more than the general, you know, markets assume. Right. It, exactly. Yeah. Cause they, they are kind of cut from, from a very similar cloth. Uh, your thoughts on how Rakeem Jarrett did. 
it's it's kind of tough. Um, for what it's worth, uh, I I I don't take Lance Zierlein's comparisons or anything that seriously, but he he is a league connected person, and he kind of just he just kind of like dismissed Jarrett in his NFL.com profile of him. So uh, I don't know on what basis he did that. I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of just skipped him because he's like, I gotta I gotta file like 500 player reports to NFL, and I. Don't feel like watching Raheem Jarrett all that closely. Yeah, That's fair enough. Fair. Um, but I, I don't know on what ground someone would really cross him off unless there's just like off the field stuff that we aren't privy to. Uh, he at six foot one ninety two. That's that's smallish. I mean, he's he's kind of skinny. If there's a concern, that would that would maybe be it. But we've seen skinnier guys than him run forties slower than four four four. You know, with worse jumps than he had, and still produce in the NFL. So um, I. I think Jared's production is pretty clean at Maryland, but uh, I don't know. Maybe there, there might be some kind of talk uh, among the league, among Maryland coaches. I don't know of, of some sort of concern that isn't obvious to me because to me, Jared should not be like, I don't know how you would criticize a team for taking him in the third. Like I, I maybe wouldn't just cause I, I try some other things, maybe that particular part of the draft. But if someone were to take him there, like, what are you going to say? Like the four, 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 a guy who leads Maryland in receiving yardage at and and at above baseline efficiency uh, as a sophomore at age 19 or something mm-hmm. like that player is bad like it, it can happen guys with really good profiles can be bad but um I don't know I I, I think Garrett is is uh, Jared sorry he's he's kind of ignored and I don't really know why yeah I I don't either uh, we we've been over him and and you know the profile the the background his pro- prospect pedigree. I thought he did well for himself at the combine. Yeah, I, th- I think he's definitely on that on that mid round radar. Maybe as early as as round three, like you said. Um, any tight ends that stood out to you one way or the other? Oh uh, yeah, a lot of them actually. Uh, also, John at receiver. Uh, I like Jonathan Mingo uh, quite a bit. Oh more than yes, I expected to. Miss. A lot of mid round guys did really well. She Rice did better than I expected. Jaden Reed did good. So really good mid round kind of talent at receiver. But anyway, as to tight end. Um, I am not really in on this Luke Musgrave height. I like him in best ball, uh, underdog best ball, as long as he's going in the 20th round because you don't get second round tight ends, uh, real draft tight ends in the 20th round. Uh, You don't traditionally get them in like the 16th. So I expect Musgrave's ADP to rise quite a bit in in because, or until that happens, I'd like to to draft him. But I think he's going to be a bust or at least a slight disappointment (laughs) as a tight end. Because uh, like the, there's just so much myth around him and so much just privilege, uh, privilege just like assumptions about him, and I I, I think it's because he's a coach's son, and uh, you know it's 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 good that he is you know so polished already and and football demeanored and football lifestyled already, but it's like he was literally raised that way. It's like kind of reminds me of, like when Van Jefferson people would be like he's such a he's such a good. He's, he's so polished. It's like his, his dad is literally a receivers coach and raised him to be a receiver. Like, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, so uh, Musgrave ran the four, six after being hyped as a four five guy. And uh, it's Mel Kuyper has been projecting him in the first round for weeks. So it's, he's going to go that high. Um, I just, I think a guy as toolsy as him should produce more as a pass catcher than he did. So I, I'm, I feel like there's some kind of limitation, some sort of hiccup that isn't obvious, but, we have reason to suspect is there still, still a fine prospect, but he's not a bum. I, I just would project him more like a, a third rounder myself. And I, I wouldn't expect him to be um, like a linchpin of some kind of offense. Uh, Michael Mayer was uh, kind of a, like 
I, I, I was surprised that he weighed in at 6'5", 249. That was not something I expected. But mm-hmm. uh, I did not care that he only ran a 4'7". Uh, and this, you know, well, with Darnell Washington's running crazy, uh, Tucker Crafts running the 4'69", I understand why people would, would look at Mayer and be like, oh, he's he's a bust, actually. But like, no, I, I, I don't care that much. I, I will say, if he, he needed to test better to remain a top 20 consideration to me, but mm-hmm. I, I still think he's a first round pick and I, 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 he's still the tight end one to me. And I, I don't care about any the other stuff because the four, seven at two forty nine. it. Okay. So how about this? Zach Ertz at two forty nine ran a four, seven, five. Did he struggle that, to catch passes in the NFL? Michael, okay. Mayer, Michael Mayer is clearly better than Zach Ertz ever was. So um, if, if you can get Mayer for cheaper now, hammer it is what I say. Um, there we go. But, uh, also, I love Darnell Washington. I, can, I maybe like wrote him off a little too much as a fantasy. I loved him in real life football the whole time, but I was like, oh well, I guess he's he's probably a little too big and lumbering. But four six four, it doesn't look. It doesn't matter how much he looks lumbering. Like he's moving at that speed. You know, it's really happening. And at six seven two sixty four, I don't know how you counter that effectively. I, it, it just seems impossible. Like you just have to hope he's blocking. Like you just have to. You have to kind of in a way just hope he's blocking. And, and not really do much else about it and uh, you know, and plan according for the blocking that he's posing. Cause if you, if you try to, if you, if you try to put someone who can bounce back fast enough off the play action to catch up to him, that's like a, that's like a 200 pounder. Like he can't do it. So uh, I love Darnell Washington and I hope he, he is unleashed somehow. Um, but yeah, I, I will say uh, I, I think Sam Laporta as, as like a target projection still works a little bit better uh, not as good overall in real life and maybe not even as good in fantasy, but Sam Laporta, uh, it's, it's usually assumed that like, um, you know, Dalton Kincaid is going to be either the first or the second tight end drafted wherever relative to wherever mayor goes. Uh, and Kincaid, like I said, in the 15th, 16th round is a great pick on underdog. He's like my favorite tight end too to, to get when I go with a Travis Kelsey build. Um, but I really think Sam Laporta is as good or better. And the only reason I'm not drafting Sam Laporta similarly is because it doesn't seem like everybody else agrees with me, but, uh, I think like Sam Laporta in the fourth or fifth round is like, I think he's going at worst in the third. And I think he's going to produce right away. I think as soon as he gets into camp, you're going to see whatever team that has him be like, Oh crap, this guy can. Not quite the way that when Kittle got to the 49ers, they immediately cut Vance McDonald. But I think you'll see, especially if Laporta can go to a team that throws the ball a lot, spreads out a lot, he'll be so tough as a slot kind of tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, he's, I think, what a lot of people uh, advertised Dulcich as last year, but he's the real version of it, being a tenth of a second faster in the 40 at a couple pounds heavier. And uh, yeah, I, I love Laporta. I think he's, I, I, I was not expecting him to test quite that well. I was expecting him to be like scrappy overachieving type, but he is legitimately toolsy. Yeah. I love that. So that, that, that was a really good call that that's aging well as we speak. And then uh, I'd say one of the more under the radar uh, tight ends that, that definitely made some noise last weekend that um, I believe you, you kind of see through it a little bit. One Zach Kuntz. Out of out of Old Dominion, yeah, he should have a spot in the league. He should he could even play a lot of snaps in the league. But when people look at tools like his, they they look at the graphs and they they kind of just their eyes glaze over and they stop thinking and they stop paying attention to everything else. And they they should they should think about a few things. They should think about 
why did he transfer from Penn State? You know, I know Adam Brenneman did that and put up big numbers before injuries ended his career. Uh, it's not always on the. It's not always for failed merit reasons that a guy transfers from a big school to a small one like that. But it's worth keeping in mind, and it's especially worth keeping in mind how when he got to Old Dominion, he had high usage. Yes, and uh, you know that's that's no that's not a small burden to have to sort of be the savior of Old Dominion. You know, no Taylor Heineke there, no Ray Lowry there. Like they're just bad now, and you have to. It's your problem, Zach Koontz. I understand that, uh, but. His efficiency was so historically bad and b- below right. baseline specifically. It was below the old Dominion baseline. So um, he may, it may be true to say, like, well, he was still their best receiver. So they had to just chuck it at him all the time. It's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean he's going to have any similar significance on an NFL team or even another college team. Like, he's, he's just the best thing old Dominion had as a jump ball target who doesn't have anything else, you know? It, and it shouldn't be that hard to get a guy with four, five, five wheels. 255 to get going a little bit like just throw them just get them in a race with somebody it's what are they like uh some they're like conference usa or something something less than uh, that. Y- <laughs> just like, just like in the honestly zone. yeah it's, it's something like, bad i think it's yeah they're, they're, they're like they're like barely above fcs kind of thing and it's like adam shaheen raked in college you know oh yeah it's like it's like when you're that big and fast you should be able to just just not just just roll over everybody all the time. So I think Koontz has a ton of obviously he has a ton of objective athleticism. But what you need to what people need to pay more specific attention to is whether he has functional athleticism. Could he channel that athleticism into football tasks? And I don't think he can. Uh, I think what will happen is he'll be in the NFL as a more of a part time player. And in, in, as a low volume pass catcher, he could be interesting because in a low volume setting. That what that means practically is your your volume is low because the shots that we are taking are calculated ones. Specifically, like, hey, we got Koontz. You know, he's 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 blocked twenty five times this game. He, he's only run like ten routes. They're they're putting a two hundred and sixty pound outside linebacker on him. Let's go for the play action post down the seam, and he could be in that look really tough to stop. But if he's a guy who the defense conventionally is paying attention to. And if he's a guy that you're throwing to regularly, I think you're all of a sudden going to see the ball in the dirt a lot. Yeah, could could be. So, you know, that again, it's just one of those things where, you know, he's not on the radar. All of a sudden he is because of the athleticism. It's good to, to you know, kind of uh, unpack what the, he's also the actual tall, basically. He's, he's yeah, kind of like, like too tall. I, I guess I, I've tried to like kind of cobble together some sort of comparison. It's like, as far as like production projection, maybe like Colby Parkinson. I don't know. That would be the best case scenario. And Parkinson, he was a below baseline producer at Stanford, but he was also a lot younger. And um, he's added weight to his frame for what it is. Like, I think he was playing at 260 this year when he finally broke out, which makes sense. Because when you're 6'7, 255 is actually not that heavy. It's like right. 260 is where you're kind of getting your, your mass up to your height. Uh, just to similar percentiles and you want that you want to see players add a you want a player to have their weight percentile be higher than their height percentile but failing that you want them to be at least the same you don't want to see a guy whose height variable is like 99th percentile and his weight is 60 that's not good no exactly you know your bigger target um essentially um but that's gonna round it out for this edition 
of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Underdog. Go ahead, use that promo code RWNFL. Get your first deposit over at Underdog matched up to $100. Get a free six-month subscription over at Rotowire. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.